I grew up a pastor's kid. We used to call that a PK. Uh, for those of us in the, you know, the inner circle, the inner loop, yeah, we were PKs. That's a pastor's kid. And, you know, well, pastor's kids have uh, somewhat of a reputation, at least some of them, uh, a reputation for not following in dad's footsteps, not uh, embracing the faith that was uh, passed on to them, or at least the attempt was made to pass it on to them. This week, I took a trip uh, to Illinois, to Chicago, and it was uh, an important trip because uh, I graduated from high school in a town just west of the city called Oak Park, Illinois, and I wanted to take my two older boys to see the location, the place, the school where I graduated from high school. It was a place called Oak Park, Illinois, and the school Oak Park and River Forest High School. And there are some famous graduates of that school, not just Charles Nestor II, but there are some famous graduates of the school. Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, is also a fellow alum, and also Ernest Hemingway and uh, is also a fellow alum of the school. And then, of course, yours truly, who is with you today, Charles Nestor, a graduate of Oak Park and River Forest High School. The, the significance of the trip and the significance of that time in my life was that it was during that time in my life that I made that decision that my father's faith was going to be my faith. You see, there comes a point in every person's life when you have to make that decision for yourself. And here's why, because there are no grandkids in the kingdom of God. There's no grandchildren in the kingdom of heaven. God has only first generation children. In other words, you're not grandfathered in, grandfathered into the deal because daddy was, uh, loved God or mom loved God or maybe even a grandmother or a grandfather. You have to come to that place where you make your decision about Jesus. And it was during that time that I would bring a Bible to, to school uh, and I would break that out during a thing called study hall. Anybody remember study hall? Yeah. I don't know if they have those anymore. Maybe we should, the schools should bring those back. Maybe bring some studying back in. Now the kids will be mad at me for saying that. But I brought my Bible to school and it was during that time that I read the gospels for myself and I read the epistles of Paul and of Peter. And I came to the conclusion for my own life that Jesus Christ was going to be my Lord, that he was going to be my God, and that I came to understand who he was. And you see, every person has to come to that same place. You have to make a decision for your own self. And if you do make that decision that Jesus Christ is going to be the Lord of your life, you place your life on a sure foundation, the rock of Jesus Christ. You base your life on a sure foundation and that foundation gives you eternal life and that you're going to live forever. But not only that, but a hope for this life that even in hard times, even in trouble, you're going to make it through because Jesus, who is victorious over everything and has overcome the world, is your Lord and your Savior. And it was the same for the disciples. They had to make that same decision. And they came to that time a time when they were troubled in their hearts, in their minds. 
on the night Jesus was arrested, he was eating the Passover feast with his disciples in a place called the Upper Room in Jerusalem. At one point during the night, he looked at them and he said this to them. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What was it that could possibly be troubling them? Jesus was there with them. They were eating the Passover feast. There they were sitting at the table, lounging, eating the unleavened bread and, and just enjoying the wonderful environment and the fellowship. But what was troubling them was this, that Jesus had told them, once again he reminded them that he had to go, that he had to go to a place, he had to go accomplish a work, and it was the cross. He had to go and be handed over and be killed. And he told them, I, I'm going, and I'm going by myself. You can't come. You can't come with me. And I'm going there by myself. And so they were troubled in their heart. And, and Jesus, on this particular occasion, he comforts their heart, but he also gives them the principles and the keys to having a life in him and having that comfort and assurance that no matter what happens, everything's going to be okay. And the key is this, to believe in Jesus. He says, believe me, believe me. And we've got to believe in Jesus. I want to read these verses for you, beginning at John Chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and you know the way. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to them, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the answer to our lives, the answer to our predicament that we're in, the answer to perhaps the trouble that may come into our lives and will, is to believe in Jesus, to believe in him. The key to overcoming trouble in your life is believing in Jesus. In fact, it's believing Jesus, who he is, who he said he was, what the word de de declares him to be, and what he accomplished for us on the cross and in coming out of that grave on that Sunday morning. Now, in this particular passage in John 14, it's right in the middle of what uh, theologians have called the upper room discourse. And to understand and get the feel for the upper room discourse, you have to understand the love of Christ, the love that he had for his disciples, and the love that he was pouring out to them. Here he was in that intimate setting. The Bible tells us that he looked so forward to celebrating the feast with them. And here he was, and he was pouring out his heart to them. He was telling them about how he was the vine and that they were going to be the branches and they need to abide in him. They need to be connected to him. And of course, reminding them that he was going to the cross, that he was going to do the work. And their hearts were troubled. Realizing this, the love of Christ, he spoke to them. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe God, believe also in me. This is where Jesus, he, he talks to them about their belief in the Father, their belief in the, God, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
You see, they weren't people that were... Uh, they didn't believe God. They didn't. They weren't people. They weren't skeptics in that sense. They weren't. They weren't uh, riddled with the doubts of, well, is there a God? Is there, you know, uh, what, what's true? Is it the Big Bang or is it God in the beginning? Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. No, these these were disciples who believed in God, and He said to them, He said, "You believe in God." And you believe the word of God, the Old Testament. You believe everything that the Father said through the prophets. You need to believe in me because I'm sent from God. I'm sent from the Father. And here he was, the Son. And so they needed to believe in him. And this admonition to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. He gives us the antidote to our fears, to our troubled heart, to the, the ultimate end should we not be here when Jesus returns to the earth that, we'll, that we're going to the grave? That there, there's the, the fact, the inevitability of our impending death lays before us despite what the board of Google might do, despite what the Peter Thiels of the world might come up with, the mortality rate among human beings is still at 100%. And so we've got that laying before us but Jesus, on this night, the night he was arrested, the night before he went to his own death, he tells them, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And that is the key to overcoming and being an overcomer in this life and for the, the life to come. Jesus knew exactly what they were going through and exactly what they would go through. He told them that he was going to be handed over and killed. I've, I've, I've told you that these things must take place. So he tells them, you believe God. You trust God. Believe in me and trust in me. When Jesus says you believe in God, he's appealing to the fact that they are men of faith and do believe in God. Now they need to believe in Jesus. They need to believe his words. There comes a time. There comes a time in every person's life where you have to decide what your stance is on the Lord, on God. There comes a time when you have to decide if you're going to believe upon Christ, Jesus, you have to deal with that particular question, who he is. Is he, is he who he said he is or was and is today? Is it true what he accomplished on the cross? Is it true that he came out of that grave? You have to have what Peter in his epistle would later say, you have to come to Jesus. And we've, we've in recent centuries and millennia over the last two have called that a coming to Jesus moment. You have to have that. You have to come to Jesus. You see, you, you go through every option. You say, look, I, 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 I gotta figure out my life. I gotta figure out where this is all going. And you look at every option, you turn over every rock, and you come to the end of it, and hopefully you make the decision that the disciples made. There was a time when Jesus was, was preaching to the crowd, and he said some really difficult things about what they needed to do. So difficult that the crowds that had gathered for another free lunch had dispersed. And Jesus turned to the disciples and he says, are you guys going too? And it was Peter who turned to him and said, Lord, where would we go? You alone have the words of everlasting life, of eternal life. And just like Peter, 
Hopefully we come to that same conclusion. Where else would we go in life? Who else would we trust our very lives to? None other than Jesus Christ. And coming to that place where we say, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my God. I'm giving you my trust. I'm giving you my loyalty. So the decision, the decision that is before each and every person is the exact decision that's laid before Jesus' disciples. We need to believe in Jesus, what he said, who he was, and what he accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection. So that it can be true for us that we can overcome the world through Christ. It was right after Peter was asked who he was. There was that occasion when he gathered the disciples and he said, who do you say that I am? And it was on that occasion that Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Later in that chapter, Jesus said this to them. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, and in, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So whatever we may go through in life, it may be a valley. It may be the valley of the shadow of death, literally. But Jesus has already overcome it. He's already walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He walked all the way straight through death in the grave and came out on the other side for us. And this is how we overcome. This is how we find peace in this world. And the question for each and every one of you today is, are you overcoming? Have you found peace in your life? Have you found peace in Jesus Christ by believing in him? Jesus moves on in the passage. He continues to comfort them. He says, in my father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. The disciples were troubled about what Jesus said about him going away and his death. But Jesus tells him, he says, look, in my father's house are many mansions. This wasn't a brag. This was to comfort the disciples. Hey, look, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a place. There's another place. I, I'm going to prepare a place that, that you're going to be able to come with me, that you're going to be able to come with me. And, and there's many mansions there. Now there's a comedian who he talks about mansions and he talks about the word mansions. And he says, you know, mansion isn't one of those words that you use, you know, about your own house. You know, you don't really hear people describing, you know, hey, why don't you come on over to my mansion? You know, it's, a, it's something that you ride by and you say, look at that mansion, right? But, you know, Jesus says, in my father's house are many mansions. So, you know, I, I, I might say to you, hey, would you come over this afternoon to my mansion? But uh, there's many mansions. Now, this has provided a lot of uh, confusion for people, you know, because, you know, the, the word mansions, and, and he says there are many mansions, and, and he's talking about heaven. He's talking about, you know, on the other side of the grave. And so there was this idea for years about how God's, you know, 
got a mansion for us. If you trust in God, you know, God's got a mansion for you. And, and the idea was this, that, you know, one day, you know, we're going to show up at the, you know, the pearly gates. Yes, read the end of the book in Revelation. There are gates and there, and there are walls too, and there's, uh, they're, they're pearly too. Uh, read it in Revelation. But anyways, we're going to show up at the pearly gates and we're going to come through and we're going to say, where's my mansion? And, you know, someone might say, well, which one do you want? You know, do you want the, you know, the, 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 the colonial style or do you want the, the, uh, the Mediterranean, you know, look or whatever? But really, the word mansion is a word in the original language that simply means dwelling place. And what it is, is that God is going to prepare a place. He's going to prepare a dwelling place for us. And I believe specifically that he was talking about the spiritual body that we're going to be able to receive once we pass through and go on to the other side. We have right now this body. Look at everyone. Look at your body. You, you, you've been given a dwelling place. And really, the Bible describes this particular dwelling place as a tent. It's a tent. And, uh, and so that's good news because we're going from a tent to a mansion. Amen. And, and so that's really good news this morning. And so if you look at this, you may look at it and you say, oh, it's a pretty decent tent. Others of you may, well, we need some work, you know, on the tent. But, you know, hey, be, be comforted this morning because we're going to a mansion. The body that we're going to receive compared to this one is going to be a mansion because it's a spiritual body. We're going to be delivered from this tent into the spiritual body, the spiritual place that God has for us. And he's gone to prepare that place for us. Now, you get the imagery from the way that Jesus said it, that Jesus is up there, you know, and he's working on stuff and he's, you know, got hammers and nails and, you know, maybe masonry. It's like a, you know, fixer upper type episode. You know, God's up there. You know, we're going to, we're going to put this wall in here. And we're going to go with all hardwood floors and we're going to do this amazing, you know, amazing sink and, and quartz, you know, I don't know, diamond countertops. I don't know what you might have. But anyways, it's a spiritual body that we're going to have, a spiritual location, and, and God is going to prepare a place. Now, really, when you look at it, you might think that he's gone and he's working all this stuff, but let me submit to you just kind of another way to look at it. He's going away to prepare a place. He told him he's going away to prepare a place. His very act of going away, going to do exactly what he told them that he was going to do that they couldn't join him with. He was going to do the work of the high priest. He was going to go to the cross, offer his blood as, a, as an atoning sacrifice, a covering for our sin. And then he was going to be victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And that very going away was the exact preparation that needed to happen for us to be able to go on and be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Because he went away from the disciples on this occasion, you and I can one day join him in that moment when we'll be with him forever and ever because of what he did on the cross, because he went away to prepare a place. The very atoning work of the cross and the victory of the resurrection is that work that one day for those who believe upon Christ, you will receive that heavenly abode, as the New Testament says, not something made with hands, but something that is forever in the heavenlies. Amen? Forever to be with God. Now, I want you to, I want to tell you something. God never will bring you to a place that he hasn't prepared it for you. We see this all the way through scripture. When, when, when you look at the opening chapter of the Bible, 
It says that God in Eden, he made a garden. Then he put the people in. So he always prepares the place, then brings people into it. So we've made the garden and put people in it. The same with the promised land. He, he, he said, I'm going to bring you into a land that's already set to go for you. It's already prepared. In fact, God said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 10, he says, so it shall be when the Lord God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hewn out wells, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. It's this idea that when God is going to bring somebody somewhere, he's already going ahead to prepare it and to make sure that it's a wonderful situation. Amen. And that's exactly what Jesus did in the going to the cross. And before us, he went through, he paid the price, he made the covering, he made the atonement, and he came out of the grave victorious over the grave so that you and I can follow him and be victorious in that sense as well. It's Jesus' work of the cross and resurrection from the dead that prepares and makes possible your resurrected body. Amen? Now Jesus ends it up here in, in John 14. He says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is kind of where Jesus kind of drills home the point. He's like, look, I, I'm, I'm going away, I'm preparing a place, and I'm gonna come again and get you, that, that you can come with me, that you can come and be with me forever and ever and ever. Thank God for the disciples that always made kind of statements, you know, to clear things up for all the rest of us. You know, sometimes people give the disciples a hard time for, you know, trying to walk on water and falling into the sea and doing all kinds of stuff, but you know, I give the guys a lot of credit for just, you know, asking the questions. Lord, we don't know. <laughs> you know, we don't know where you're going. And how will we know the way? And Jesus says, look, let me, let me make it simple for you. I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is perhaps one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. And one of the most powerful statements that Jesus made. But it brings a lot of questions. I am the way the truth and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me. And so it brings a lot of questions that people have. You know, can, can Jesus be the only way? I mean, is Jesus the only way to salvation? Is Jesus the only way to the Father? And on this particular occasion, the Lord, he's, he's given them the truth. Amen? The question is, can you handle the truth? Can you handle the truth? Like Jack Nicholson said, you can't handle the truth. Well, maybe I'm hoping that you can handle it this morning on Easter Sunday. The reality is that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the question. Can Jesus be the only way to salvation, the only way to the Father? There are people that have adopted 
what's called a wagon wheel theology. And it's the idea that all spokes of the wheel end up at God. In other words, all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to God. And this really isn't what the Bible teaches. There's really no such thing as a wagon wheel theology. There is a way. There's, there's other ways that are not the way. Jesus spoke of a way. He says that there's a wide road that leads to, to death and destruction. He says, but there's a narrow way. There's a narrow way and there's a gate. And if you go that narrow path, if you go that narrow way, there's a gate and it leads to life. And we've got to find that way. Now, C.S. Lewis, you familiar with C.S. Lewis? Chronicles of Narnia and other, you know, nonfiction work that he wrote, but most people know C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know, he did other work. He did a radio show, uh, actually um, did some stuff with, uh, you know, dialogues with Tolkien, you know, the author of The Hobbit and uh, all that stuff. But he, he, uh, he put it like this. He said, you know, when it really comes down to it, Jesus really is one of three things. He's either a liar he's e or a lunatic or he actually is the Lord. He's either a liar because when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, well, if that's not true, then he's a liar. So if you want to take the position that Jesus is a, a good guy, a good man, well, if he's a liar, then he's not a good man. He deceived a lot of people by telling them that he's the only way to the Father. So, he's, so, so that's one choice. He's a liar. The other option is that he's a lunatic. That he's just, he was a crazy guy. He was off his rocker. He was just out there saying all kinds of stuff. And he says, you know what, guys? I'm the only way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And if you don't believe Jesus, you might, there are many people that think, you know, yeah, I don't believe in that God stuff. I don't like, I don't believe in the Jesus stuff. It's, that's craziness. But the other option is this that he actually is the Lord, that he's everything, everything that he said he was, that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life. And it actually is true that no man comes to the Father but by him. And so you have to make that determination. You have to make that determination for yourself. Is Jesus who he said he was? Is he the way? Is he the truth? Is he the life? Let me drive it home with one last point. Later, after he spoke these words, the disciples and him went to the garden. They went down out of the upper room. They walked through the Kidron Valley up into what's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that garden, Jesus prayed on that night. He would later be arrested. But on that night, he prayed. And the son speaking to the father, you say, this is where I get confused. Who is, is Jesus God? Yes. But you have to understand he's fully God and he's fully man. And in the, the, the humanity of his sonship, he's praying to the father. And this is what he asks him. He says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. The cup of the wrath of God was going to be poured out. He was going to drink it. He was going to take it. But on that night, in prayer, praying in, in, in that moment in his humanity, sweating drops of blood, and that's actually been scientifically proven, 
that people in that that le that level of 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 uh, intense intensity stuff like that can happen. He says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But then he finished it up. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so in his humanity, he submits to the will of the Father and he goes and provides the only means of salvation that there is available for us, for men and women living on planet Earth. And so you have to make the determination for yourself, is Jesus who he said he was? Did he accomplish the work that, he, that, that the Bible says that he did? Did he come out of that grave on the third day? He's either a liar, a lunatic, or I pray you make the third choice. Come to the third option, that he is the Lord, that he's the Lord of glory and he's victorious over sin and grave. And he wants to give you that same victory today. And so this is the foundation for life and the antidote for troubled times and for looking forward to coming out of this tent one day and going into that heavenly body. Let's call it a mansion. Amen. And being with Jesus forever and ever. And I pray that you make that decision for your own life.